All right. Well, now let's uh, begin our Bible study time with the word of prayer. Please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for your many blessings. Uh, most especially this Holy Week, we're thankful for the blessing of your Son, Jesus, who entered into Jerusalem in, in triumphal uh, splendor, knowing what awaited him, but went to the cross silently for our sake, so that we would never be forsaken by you, but instead loved as children of God. We give you thanks for this, and we ask your blessing as we uh, look into your word today to enliven our faith, encourage us in our discipleship, and uh, further our love for one another. All these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so just a last reminder, there's a couple handouts up here if you haven't grabbed them already. So, does anybody remember, it feels like it's been ages since we've met, does anybody remember what point of the service we are in that we're entering into today? based on our previous discussions. So, service of the word. Very good. The service of the word. Now, if you can recall back to when we talked about the early church, uh, the house church uh, endeavor, right? Um, those were the two, there were two components to Christian worship from the very beginning. We can see these in Acts chapter 2 after Peter's sermon and the Holy Spirit cuts people to the heart. What is it that they do that they are uh, they praised and prayed to God and in communion with one another. They heard the apostles' teachings and they broke bread. So what were the two key pieces of Christian worship? They're still the two key pieces today, but from the very beginning. So today we're doing service of the word. That's one. What's the other one? The sacraments. Very good, right? And we talked about why it's really important that those remain the two key pieces because you can do those pretty much anywhere. Whether you're in a small house or a large cathedral, whether there's a lot of people or only a few people, all of those components can be taken care of, right? Uh, as soon as you add things like, there's a reason that we don't say you must have a procession, you must have a gospel procession, you must have a, 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 like all these different movement pieces that we went over last time, because in some places, you can't do those, right? Maybe you don't have the, the musician or the singers, or maybe you don't even have the space, we don't need to do a procession because the service starts here and I only have to move to here, right? So we learned that some of those things were developed practically, right? The, the processional cross is raised up on a stick so that lots of people can see it in a big space. And you have all these visual cues to help you learn the services moving on to the next thing. So on that note, we're going to move on to the next thing, which is the service of the word. Now, we had our Bible reading um, before we hop into that from Acts chapters 1 through 10. What did anybody notice or have questions about from Acts 1 through 10? How many of you read Acts 1 through 10? Uh, I did. And I'm going to say something that's, that's maybe um, not cool to say. I'm going to try anyway. Okay. Um, I thought it was a little... Uh, Maybe the word hubris is too strong. I, I, I thought it was assuming a lot that the apostles thought God needed their help in replacing Judas. Like, that that has always been sort of a, a, oh, okay. a, a something I scratch my head with. But not, not just their method, which really, you know, that whole locks thing really confuses me. Like, it's like gambling and calling it God or something. Uh, so there's that. Uh -huh. And then there, uh -huh. then there's also the whole motivation behind it. Like when 
God wanted to replace an apostle. He had the whole Damascus Road thing, blinded by the light, Saul. Uh-huh. Saul, why do you persecute? Like, God didn't need their help. And they assumed that he did. <laughs> so what's new about that? Nothing. They've done that before. I'm sure Matthias was a really good guy, but I don't know that God needed their help. <laughs> so this is one of the scandals of the Christian faith is that God uses people like that and actually does things through them. Right? Now that doesn't mean that our presumptions about the way he's going to use us are correct or even in the same arena when we think they're going to happen, right? Uh, which is sort of part of the theme of the, the sermon today, right? You, you, Jesus is coming in and everybody's expecting him to do a certain thing and that's precisely the opposite of what he does or so they think, right? Um, and so the disciples, uh, I think maybe I've mentioned before, but one of the better sermons I've heard on this, this particular theme in the scriptures was from President Harrison when I was at the seminary. And he started by calling a whole room of soon-to-be pastors liars and drunkards and fornicators and all this other stuff. And then after really laying into us, he said, well, if you read the Bible, you fit right in. <laughs> right? Because that's, that part of the witness of the scriptures is God is redeeming a people such as this. A people who presumes, a people who get wrong all the time, a people who put themselves in the place of God. Uh, so this is a similar example. Now, um, there is a difference now in the world because of Christ's death and resurrection. Because when you're, when you're reading Acts, Christ has died and risen again. And then in Acts chapter 2, he sends the Holy Spirit. Right? So the behavior and the... Um, the work of the apostles and those they teach now is different in that it actually matters. Now, often I think we get this the opposite way. We think, well, because Jesus did everything, it doesn't matter what I do because I'm forgiven, he's done all the hard work, I don't have to do any of that. But the irony of that is it actually does now matter in a new way more than it ever has because it means that now, um, the best language I've heard for this, C.S. Lewis kind of uses this, is that we're secret agents in hostile territory. So you've been converted to be an agent of God in a land of darkness. That's what happens when Jesus died and rose victorious, and you were given the gift of faith. And so now you actually have the stuff within you from God through Jesus that the world actually needs. Right? And the core of that which is kind of a nice transition to our topic today, is what have you been given that you're supposed to give away? Time, talents, yeah, that's all good stuff, but if you, if you just give away those and not this other thing, it doesn't make a difference. The gospel, the word, right? So why has the word been a central part of Christian worship from the very beginning up till now, and even before it was called Christian worship, as we're going to learn today, the word was a key part of what God's people would do when they got together is because that's what God has given us to give away. Okay? Um, and, and you do give up your time and your talents and treasures, but all in the context of giving away his word. Because if you give away your time, talents, and treasures, you're doing nice things for other people, but it's not to the glory of God. Right? Um, and our goal is to do things to the glory of God and the good of the neighbor. And so... Uh, we're doing the good of the neighbor when we do the nice things, but we're not glorifying God because he's not connected to that in any way. That doesn't mean you have to take your Bible and bash people over the head with it. But it does mean that you're honest about what you're about and why you're doing things. 
And people will ask you if you do enough of that stuff because it's really weird behavior. Why are you doing that? Why do you give that much money to that, that person? Or why did you help out that person? They didn't seem they needed it or deserve it. And you can say, well, I didn't deserve the help I got from God either. And he still gives me all this stuff, so I'm supposed to help people that don't deserve it too. And then people start to wonder, what's this God all about that you're doing all this stuff for? Okay, any, yeah. So, um, kind of in that line, so when they're talking about Ananias, uh -huh. in Acts, um, so... You recall what chapter that is? I think it's, um... Ananias five. and Sapphira. It's five. Yeah. Okay. Could be two. Two or five. It's five. It's five. It's five. Okay, so Ananias, um, so it sounds like he and his wife decide, uh, AJ, we'll sell that lot of land and we're just going to hold a little bit back. So is it just that it was their heart wasn't where it should be? Because, I mean, honestly, i got to tell you, in this whole congregation, I don't see anybody selling their house to give the money to the church. Ah. So, and and so I'm not saying we should, I'm not saying that's, it's all God's, he gave it to us. It's He gave you the talent to be a preacher, me a nurse, Dave a lawyer, um, so that we can do his will in those fields and we make money and we tithe. Mm -hmm. But, um, I mean, these guys were given a, they were selling their houses. So I get it, I mean, he lied. Uh, so. You know, not cool. Don't lie, God. Okay, he knows what you're doing. So what's the point of trying to lie to the people? Um, but I just, like, where are we today? Um, what's, what What are you asking? Are you asking, well, like, why such a harsh response? No, because he lied. Where are we today? What should we be doing today? Like you said, you know, right now you just said we should be giving because of love and, and we should be spreading his word. And so I'm not sure that the money thing is such a big issue. But I was lying in bed last night thinking, like, but what's he want from us today? They did. The disciples. That's a great. So let's let's go with that question. What does he want from us today? And let's let's talk about, in this case, it's money with Ananias and Sapphira, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this is a beef that people have had with the church as long as the church has been around, right? Um, is the issue of money. Right? So why... What does God want from you when it comes to money? So let's think about that. Why does he want you to use your money for his, his desired ends? Does he need your money? No. So it can't be greed that motivates God, or Jesus in this case, when he calls you to, to give, right? Um, what might it be? I think he wants us to have a generous uh, disposition. Why? Why does he want you to have a generous disposition? Because he has a generous disposition. Okay. Because he has a generous disposition, yeah. He doesn't want money to be your God. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So Jesus cares about your heart. And so the issue with Ananias and Sapphira was what kind of issue? It was a heart issue, right? So it could have been $5 or $500,000. It wouldn't have mattered because they had made money into the thing that was actually separating them from the community of God, where they become their thing. So, in a way, whatever that thing is, whether it's money, whether it's sports, whether it's job, whether it's reputation, all those things, God knows, have a potential to draw you away from him. And he knows that if that's the case, it's all done, right? None of those things can do 
the stuff that God can do. And I just had a, I just did a, the chapel for uh, the high schoolers and the grade school kids at Redeemer Lutheran School over in Oakmont on Friday. And they were looking at the, uh, the Lazarus text we had for last week. And I gave them a definition of peace that it's you rest easy knowing that everything's going to be okay. But Jesus is approaching Martha in a situation where her brother's dead, so everything's not okay. So what kind of peace can even be present then? And I said, we, we Christians, we sometimes call this the peace that passes understanding. And where does that come from and what does that mean? It means that we can rest easy knowing everything's going to be okay no matter what. Money, time, sports, reputation, job, all that kind of stuff doesn't give you a peace that passes understanding. Because we can all pretty quickly come up with situations where those do you no good. Right? And so God doesn't want you to make those into something that becomes the center of your heart because ultimately you'll end up outside of his kingdom, away from him. Right? Um, there's a lot of examples in the Old Testament too of this kind of thing where somebody holds back. like uh, it, when, they, when they destroy the city of Jericho, they're not supposed to take anything. And a guy takes something and then the next time they go into battle, God's not with them and they lose. And Joshua's informed, well, somebody disobeyed me and did what I said you shouldn't do. Right? So, so this, of course, then brings us back to the word. Right? It turns out the word is important, the word that God brings to you, the word that God gives you. Right? Now, um, is that kind of? Yeah. Yeah? Thank you. Okay. Yeah, Bob. Yeah, but in that, if you really read that, if they were to just, they, they were not required to give the whole thing. It's that they lied to make yeah. them look yeah. self-righteous. Right. I'm sure if they would have said, I kept, we have, um, exactly. we're going to keep 50%, we're giving 50%. Right, I mean, in, in chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 here, he says, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Um, so, yeah. Okay, um, I got to move on to. Uh, I, I'll be happy to take Acts questions or thoughts uh, after class is done, uh, but we got to move on to uh, our Bible study. Okay, the service of the word. So, open up your Bibles. Uh, half of you open up to Psalm one. So, from Bob and and Anna Fifik over here, you guys are going to go to Psalm chapter one, and then from Janine and Karen on over, you guys are going to go to John chapter one. Because the first question we really need to answer is what, is, what is this word that's being spoken of and what place does it have uh, in the life of the Christian? So we got Psalm chapter 1 and John chapter 1. And I'm going to read these. And I want you to kind of listen as I read them, okay? So Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Okay. 
So we've got our resident Psalm 1 scholars over here. What is this talking about? Let's highlight some key phrases. So, uh, counsel of the wicked, what is that? Bad advice. Bad advice, right? Counsel is advice. It's, it's sort of the general wisdom of a group. So the counsel of the wicked are the ways and words of the wicked. Right? Bad advice. Uh, same with the way of sinners and the seat of scoffers. Notice that those are like very location-oriented, right? So way and um, seat and counsel, those are all kind of location words. Uh, so the ble blessed is the man who doesn't go to those places and listen to those people and, and follow that way, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So what's the law of the Lord? Scripture, right? And we get a cue from that in the next the next phrase because what are we supposed to do with Scripture? Meditate on it day and night. Do you know what the word meditate means there? Think about it. Chew on it. It's the same word that is used to describe a cow chewing on cud. So you're supposed to read it, chew on it, and, and ingest it, right? Um, and so does that mean like take a quick read and then be done? Or does it mean kind of read and think and pray and maybe read again a couple of times, right? That's what that's really getting at there, okay? Uh, and what does it mean by day and night? Does it mean every day and every night? Continuously. Yeah. Yeah, as a Christian, for your own sake, right? This isn't a like I'm wagging my finger at you kind of thing. For your own sake, you really should be in the scriptures every single day in some form or fashion, right? Because um, what this is telling us here is that's what blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night, okay? So what happens to him if he does that? What does it say? He's like a tree that yields good fruit. How does the tree yield good fruit? Plugged into the it's plugged into the word. What's the what's the word used in the imagery there? Planted by streams of water. Yeah. The streams of water, right? So, it, you know, I'm not a biologist, but we all probably know enough that if there's a tree by a water source, the tree lives. If the tree is not by the water source, what happens to the tree? It dies, right? So, the word, this meditation on the law, uh, the law of the Lord, is it pretty important or not so important? It's pretty important, right? Because without it, what the, the fruits of the tree, the life of the tree, cannot exist. Right? So the one who meditates on the law of the Lord uh, is like a tree planted by streams of living water. Okay. Um, and all that he does, he prospers. Okay? Now that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make tons of money or you're going to get the perfect job. What does that mean? Salvation. Salvation. And all that he does, he prospers. Now, you also get secondary benefits where if you follow the natural law that God established and you do the things he commands, you will likely fare well in this life, right? Because you're dealing with reality on the terms of its creator. That's always going to benefit you. But that's not part of the guarantee. The guarantee is the thing that is the peace that passes understanding. The reason you know that you're always going to be okay no matter what, which is salvation and life in heaven. Uh, okay, uh, John 1. John chapter 1. Somebody want to read that one for us? Um, let's do, let's see, 1 through, forgot to write the verses on this one. I think it's like 1 through 15 maybe. And he 
Yes, 1 through 14. Someone want to read that for us? Vicki? And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, thank you. Um, so, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. What the heck does that mean? Yeah, so we understand that to mean that the pre-incarnate Jesus, who's present at creation, is present as the words of God. And what do the words of God do at creation? Speak it into existence. They speak it into existence, right? So if you've ever sort of had a philosophical dilemma about the Lord's Supper, think of it this way. The very same words that said, let there be light, say, this is my body. And when he said, let there be light, what does the scripture say? And there was light. Right? Um, so when the word of God speaks, things happen. Right? Um, it's an it's a autogenetic thing. It creates what it says. Um, so the word was present at creation. Oh, yeah. Isn't that passage the main difference between... The uh, Roman Catholic and its descendants and the Eastern Orthodox Church. Isn't that passage the main difference between the two? What do you mean? Uh, there, I forget the word, but there's a word that that, uh, that states how they view that passage differently. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Uh, homoousios yes. and homoousios, yeah. yeah. So that passage um, is what separates the two. I have not... I wasn't looking at that, so I can't answer that for sure. No, 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 it's fine. It's a good question to ask. I can look it up and let you know next next time. Not next week, two weeks from today. Um, but yeah, I think so. But I'll have to look into that. Um, okay, so the Word um, was with God and the Word was God, right? Uh, so then we have kind of this, there's like a, almost a mixing of metaphors here. Then you have light coming into the world, and it talks about John being a witness to the light. And the Word sort of disappears, but then there's a verse at the end of this section that unites all of those images together in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Right? So the light and the word are one and the same, and when Jesus comes along, the word is made flesh. Right? So this is why when Jesus is teaching and preaching, what is the reaction often from the people who listen to him? Wow, he's got authority. Wow, he's got authority. You bet he's got authority, right? He is the Word, the Word incarnate, okay? So it makes sense then for Christians that from the very beginning, the place of God's Word is, is paramount 
from the start all the way down until today. Right? Because our worship service is all about whom? Jesus. Jesus. Right? It's about his words and his work. And so if the word became flesh and dwelt among us and is Jesus, then our service is all about God's word working in the world for the salvation of those who believe. Okay? So, if the word is that important, let's, let's say, what does the word of God do for us in church? And don't say it puts you to sleep. Because <laughs> I got news for you. If you're coming to the Holy Week services, there's a lot more word in those services than even our long gospel reading today. Because we're people of the world. It reveals, yeah, what does it reveal to us? The nature of God. Yeah, no right? Way. It's God revealing himself to us. How would we know about him other than if he shared himself with us? Right? So it's the source of our knowledge about God. What else? What else does God word do for us? Nourishes. Nourishes what? Our souls. Our faith. Our souls, our faith, right? The new life we have in Christ. How does it nourish us? By teaching. By teaching, okay. Does it nourish you even if you don't understand what it's saying? You don't think so? I do. I can through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit, right? There's two things going on when you read the Bible. One's an intellectual activity, right, where you're grasping things or things are being revealed to you. And sometimes you understand them, sometimes you don't. It's a good thing, by the way, because otherwise I would run out of material. <laughs> There's all kinds of stuff where I'll read a passage I've read, and I'm sure you've experienced this too. You've read it 17 or 18 times, and you read it again, and you're like, wait a minute, was that always in there? <laughs> we never made that connection before, right? Yeah. Um, and, and how does that work when you read? Have you also, you probably also had the experience where you read something, you're like, particularly Paul, maybe, and you read it and be like, huh? <laughs> what was that? Like, the thing you wanted to do, you weren't doing, and the thing you weren't doing, the thing you wanted to do, and, and, and how does that work, right? Um, so, but what's actually happening, it's important to keep this straight, I think our post Enlightenment rationalistic civilization has really downplayed this among Christians and we kind of took it up, is that when you read the Word of God, it is a divine interaction between you and the God of the universe. Right? He's calling you to meditate on it day and night, one, so that you'll learn what he has to say for you, right? and two, so that you have an ongoing interaction with him. Okay? Um, and so, like, think of it this way. If you plant a seed... According to the scriptures, which is usually the image for the word of God, can you control when it grows? No. Much to my great frustration, I cannot. Right? Um, and that's part of the, the humility that we take on with engaging with God's word. Right? Is in Isaiah it says that he sends his word out and it's going to accomplish the task for which he sent it. Right? Now, some of you may have heard me use the example, you come up to me after church, you say, Pastor, that was an amazing sermon. It changed my life when you said blah, 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 blah. And I might be thinking in my head, oh, yeah, okay. And <laughs> I don't remember saying that. Yeah. Right? Um, and that's the Holy Spirit at work. Because I don't know all of the ins and outs of your situations. But the Holy Spirit does. And so when the word is sent out, you ascribe things to me that are not my responsibility or my joy to do because I don't, I'm not given to do that, right? Um, if you say a great sermon when you said this, I'll probably say, oh, thank you, um, and that'll be it. But 
I'll be thinking, I'll be saying thank you to the Holy Spirit, because I had no idea that was going on, and I had no idea. I mean, think about, can you imagine the kind of fear and trembling that would happen for a pastor going into a pulpit if he knew about all the details of your lives? For one, he'd probably have a hard time having compassion on you and himself. But two, he'd also be so afraid to say anything because what if they take it this way? What if they take it that way? What if I'm the reason that they give in to despair and all this other stuff, right? So I'm, I thank God that that's not the domain of us people, right? Because we can't know, know each other's hearts, right? Uh, so um, everybody turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. So what does the Word of God do for us? We hit on some of the main points in Romans 10, and we're looking at verses 14 to 17. Is a pretty core understanding of God's Word in the church. Somebody want to read that for us when they've done it? Romans chapter 10, 14 to 17. Go ahead, Janine. Um, how, how will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Okay. So, the word is the source of our new life in Christ. It is by which that is the means by which the Holy Spirit is given to God's people so that we may believe, right? How, how can they uh, call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe if they've never heard of him, right? So the word is, is central to that. And so that's one of the reasons why every service we do has the word of God in it, right? And many of the responses that we have on our part in the, in the service are also from God's word. Because that's the source of our life and community together. Now, uh, when I was at my previous church, I went to visit somebody who was in their home, and they had been a member of the church for a long time. And they said to me, I've been around long enough, I feel like I can say this, which is always a great preamble to, okay, here we go. Um, and they said... The, the readings are really quite long. Maybe we can take those out of the service sometime, or at least shorten them up. And, and, of course, you know, I said, oh, well, thank you for your feedback on that, and I'll take that into consideration. Um, but I also said, but I don't think that's what I'll do. Because if I'm going to shorten the service by any means, I'm not going to remove the parts where God is speaking I'll remove the parts where we're speaking. Because that's what's happening with the scriptures. Right? So you can imagine, how many of you watched The Chosen or maybe you've seen a movie with Jesus in it? Right? When Jesus comes to town, who speaks? He does. He does. And what do the people do when Jesus speaks? Are they also talking? No. Right? When Jesus shows up to talk, the reason everybody's gathered around is because he has something to say which they think they've maybe never heard before and need to hear. Or they've heard from somebody else. Have you heard the things that Jesus says? And then Jesus shows up in their town like, I'm going to go check that guy out. Right? 
So that's what's happening every Sunday in all the Christian churches across the world when they do the service of the word is Jesus is coming into our presence to speak. And so we as his disciples listen and receive. And in doing so, we become enriched in our faith. We're called to account for when we need to repent for something. It's not me who points that stuff out. I don't have any authority to call you an account. Or any of the, the, the lay readers, they don't have that authority. Doesn't, it's, not a, it's not a gavel you hold up there. Right? It's the word itself. The word that made you and everything in the world and all the stuff in it. Right? So, uh, so when Jesus comes to town, when Jesus comes into our midst to speak, and that's, the re- that's part of the real reason you're even here on Sunday. And you may not even realize it. You may think, well, I'm here because I really want to see my friends and have a good conversation and, and really just kind of forget about the, str- the, the struggles and the anxieties of my life for a while. Now, is that something that church can do for you? Well, certainly, right? But that's not why you're here. You can get that somewhere else. You're here because Jesus is here. And Jesus is here because he wants to give you something. Something that you need. And in this case, it's his word. Because how are you going to call on him if you don't believe in him? And how are you going to believe in him if you've never heard? Right? And so we take this as, as the church. And from this verse, we extrapolate, you know, also in the context of Matthew 28. This is what we're supposed to do. Right? We're people of the word. We're supposed to go out with the word. Right? So how successful are we going to be going out with the word if the word isn't in us? Right? Not very successful. Right? Um, so the best way I can, I can um, use an image to explain this is, is food. Right? We love food here at Ascension. We have many gifted people who give us lots of food, more than we could ever want. I still see a lot of it over there. Right? Why do you eat food? To sustain yourself, right? Um, can you eat enough in one sitting to where you never have to again? No, usually, usually that, uh, that backfires, right? And eventually, you're going to have to eat again, right? Um, so what did we do in order to help us do that so we don't die as a, as a race of people? We have meals, right? And generally, we eat meals around the same time every day. Now, there's a little give and take, but you're usually not eating breakfast at 3 in the afternoon and dinner at 8 a.m., right? You've set specific times and you've spaced them out so that you, when you're hungry and need it, you can have food. This is what the Word of God is to the new life you have in Christ. It is spiritual food. So it's a gift continually given to sustain something that we cannot create in ourselves, nor can we sustain it so that we no longer need it. Just like the energy you get from food and the nutrients you get from food, they come from outside of you. You can't make those yourself, which is why you have to eat something that does. So the word for the Christian is like that. It gives us things that we don't have in ourselves, nor things that we can create in ourselves or sustain, which means I need to have it, and I need to have it with regularity in order to sustain that. Now, not only so that I can sustain for me, but if I'm in the Word and I'm dwelling in it day and night and I'm meditating on it and it's the animating force of my new life in Christ, somebody else is going to see that 
And they're going to ask me about it. And then what do I give them? The word. You give them food. You give them the word. Right? John Kleinig, he's one of my uh, favorite authors. He describes the life of a Christian as you're a beggar and you're telling other beggars where to find the bread. That's what you do. Right? We don't have it in and of ourselves. It's not something we possess. It's something we're continually given. And we want people to see us and be like, oh, that looks like really good bread. Where'd you get that? I got it from that guy. You should go talk to him. And he told me some really cool stuff. Let me tell you about those things. Right? Um, so this is a key aspect of the life of faith, which makes it a key aspect of worship. Um, so the next time... And this happens to me too, so I'm not standing in judgment as I say this. The next time you're thinking, whew, that is a long reading. Like today. Like today, maybe, right? <laughs> that was 55 verses we read together. The next time you're thinking that, remind yourself that Jesus is present and he's speaking to you. That's why you're here. That's the basis for your prayer and all of your praises. So without that, there's really no reason to sing. And there's no reason to pray. That's what you came for. That's the food that you need. Okay. Um, the other part that I was going to go over, we don't have time, so I'm just going to mention it, is uh, the Mary-Martha exchange. So when Jesus comes to the home of Mary and Martha, he's received in two different ways. Uh, Martha gets gets to be in the business about all the, the stranger hospitality in the day, so she's doing all these tasks, getting the food ready, getting the house ready, and Mary simply sits at the feet of Jesus because presumably he's speaking. Right? And which, which reception does Jesus express preference for? Mary's. Mary's. Right? Why? Because Martha wasn't doing something wicked. Why does he prefer that? Yes, right. Because he has come to bring you something that affects your eternal salvation, the life of your eternal soul. And it's his greatest joy to give it to those who do not have it. And so when he shows up and he wants to give that gift, we sit at his feet and we receive it. Okay? That is one of the basis for why you called me to be here as your pastor. That's what I do. That's why there is even this thing called the Office of the Ministry. So I brought for you my, my diploma vocation. This is sort of like the uh, calling, official call documents that a congregation sends a pastor. I wanted to read a little bit of it for you. So, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. To Associate Pastor Adam Thompson of Fairlawn, Ohio, my former life. Having called on the Lord our God for guidance and the exercise of the authority with which he's vested his church on earth, we, the members of Ascension Lutheran Church of the North Hills of Pittsburgh, have elected you to the office of pastor, and herewith extend to you this formal notification of your solemn call. In the name of the triune God and by his authority, we ask you to assume the responsibilities of the office to which, you have, which we have called you, and faithfully to perform all the duties of your office according to the word of God and the confessional standards of the Evangelical Lutheran Church as drawn from the sacred scriptures and found in the Book of Concord. We ask you to do this according to the needs as specified in the accompanying document or as may be resolved and mutually agreed upon from time to time. To the end that you may be enabled to do this, we pledge you our wholehearted and continuing cooperation and support in word and deed and in our prayers to God 
in your behalf. Okay, and then it says we pray that you're extended to accept the call, which prayers were answered. Well, the way you wanted, I hope. Um, okay, so then there's this supplement to the diploma vocation that highlights some of the main tasks. So I'm going to read just the first two. There's a number of them, but just the first two. Uh, in the name of the triune God and by his authority, in order that we might carry out his mission in the world, we hereby authorize and obligate you to administer to us the word of God in its full truth and purity as contained in the sacred scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. And as set forth in the confessional writings, the evangelical church as found in the Book of Concord. That's number one of why you asked me to be here. Right. I know for a fact mowing the grass was number one. <laughs> <laughs> you must have a different version than the one that gave me. Who changed it? <laughs> but that's a good example. Why isn't it mowing grass? That's not what you. That's not what you need, and that's not what you want me here to do, right? I can mow grass, but that's not why you asked me to be here. The second one is to administer the holy sacraments in a, in accordance with their divine institution, right? So, what are the first two things there that get covered? The core of Christian worship from the very beginning of the church. Word, Word. Exactly. Now, why do you call a pastor to do that stuff? Okay, I've been trained, right? I paid all the money to go to the seminary school to study a subject which many of you probably think is excruciatingly boring, so you don't have to. Well, that's why we come to church every week, right? Because we want to hear and receive. Yeah, that's why you come to church, you want to hear and receive. So my, but my question is, why does it have to be through a pastor? You have been given the authority, authority to bring that to us. Okay, so... The office of the pastor is sort of the succession of apostolic ministry authority. And so someone who is ordained, which is something that happens just once at the beginning of your ministry, is, the, is a signifier of the divine calling from God through the church, and this is capital C Church, not any individual congregation, to serve in this role as, um, if we want to use the image that I used last time, was king's messenger. Right? Um, and so he's sending us for the same reason that we read in Romans 10, right? So that people can hear. Um, and then, why does the why is there a person called specifically to do that? And I think this is sort of the subtle part that's often overlooked. Because Jesus told, told okay, his disciples. Yeah, because Jesus told his disciples to do that. So I guess maybe the better question would be, why do you think Jesus set it up that way? Why didn't he say, you know, in your, when your church starts, why don't you just divide all those duties among five or six different people and have them do that? That just seems like chaos. <laughs> okay, so maybe some order issue there, yeah. Because he gave certain people gifts. Yeah. Ah, so he gave certain people gifts. Okay, and we, like, I think Cheryl mentioned, right, she, she said that, that she doesn't get to preaching. Like, I, you wouldn't want me making all that stuff over there. I can, I could do some cooking, but... Not like that, not every week, right? So those are different gifts. So that, And we hear this from Paul, right? The body is made of a bunch of different members that each have their own function, right? There's one more thing. And we've talked about it in the sense of receiving. Is that the office of the keys? Uh, a little bit. We'll, we'll get into that later. He wanted to, <clears throat> he wanted to make sure they were um, men full of the Holy Spirit 
and like the characteristics of them. They're full of the Holy Spirit, and so it was it couldn't just be anybody. Okay, so to safeguard the the congregation from false teaching and misleading, for somebody who's full of the Holy Spirit and is called according to that purpose. He actually had a calling. Okay, there's a, yeah, the calling, right? So in, in our, just sort of practically in our synod, you can't call somebody who's not ordained. They have to have the call from, yeah. It's the sacraments. You, you have the authority to, be, you know, to give us the body. Yes. And, and why is that given to one person to do in a congregational setting? Or in the case of, if you have multiple pastors, why is that given into one office? It's, it's almost so simple, that's probably why you're not getting it. Like a disciple, what do you mean? Like a, well, you're like a disciple of Christ. You're not? You are. Oh, well. <laughs> I go to try to say. But yeah, but you're also a disciple of Christ, right? So, you're a special one. I'm a special one. I don't know if that's a good or a bad um, But, uh, so, just think of it in terms of a gift exchange. If you're going to receive a gift who also has to be present in that interaction. The giver. Someone has to be here whose job it is to give instead of receive. And so the office of the pastor and the minister is established so that someone is there, in a sense, to bear the burden of giving what should be received. Okay? So that... Not so that they're super important and everybody looks at them and, and all that jazz that we get all snarled up about. It's so that you can receive it. You're not responsible for figuring out what comes next, who's standing where, where people are going to go for this thing, what words are going to be used. I'm responsible for that. So that you can receive it. It's hard to receive a gift that you're also simultaneously trying to give. So if you're meant to receive the gift, somebody has to give it, right? So that you can see that visibly in the service. When I face you and speak, who's speaking to you? God, God is, right? I'm his mouthpiece to give you the things in which you're supposed to receive, right? Whereas if I'm facing the altar, I'm fulfilling the role on your behalf to be the mouthpiece of the congregation to speak to God. Right? And I do that with my hands raised also as well as like sort of signifying our collective voices, our prayers are being raised to God. Right? And you'll notice like today when I do the intro to the Lord's Prayer, I'll have my hands up still, Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. And then I put them down because I'm no longer speaking for you. We're all speaking together. Right? That's the reason behind all that kind of motion and stuff. Yeah. Do you feel that a, commun a communion is more complete for you when it's, a different pastors administering it rather than when you administer it and you receive it. Um, there's some different opinions about that, whether or not uh, there are some that will say that there's no other pastor you commune yourself before you commune anybody else. Uh, I've thought about that, but I also know that because the power of communion isn't, isn't coming from me, but it's coming from the, the, the word itself working through the office I hold, uh, Somewhat crudely put, one of the seminary professors says at that point a dog could hand somebody a wafer because it's not the person handing it that makes it what it is. Right? It's the word of God and the institution of it and the celebration of it that makes it what it is. Um, and the, again, the role of the pastor there is to 
stand in the place of the host of the table and be the giver so that you can receive. Right? Now that's one of the reasons why it's important that pastors have to go to church somewhere else sometimes. Right? Because you're not getting the same, you don't just get to sit there and rest and receive. Right? And, and you guys know this with all your various vocations. They have burdens which you take on uniquely as your responsibility that God is placing you in that station. Whether it's husband or mother or dad or wife or uh, lawyer or doctor or whatever it is that you do, part of the reason you're doing that is you're taking on burdens of responsibility so that others don't have to or in service to others. And that's sort of the basis there. So I just wanted to point that out. And I was going to read um, the part. So this is not just like you saying agreements about what I'm going to do. There's also a part at the end where it says, As the baptized people of God, we partner with you to accomplish his mission to the world. We hereby obligate ourselves. So I don't know if you knew this, but you guys have some obligations here too. To receive you as a servant of Jesus Christ, to give you the honor and love and obedience that the word prescribes, to aid you by word and deed, and to support you with our diligent, faithful assistance and prayers, and to make faithful and regular use of the means of grace. So again, both of your first parts are grounded again in the word and the sacraments, the means of God's grace, right? You're given to honor and obey the office of the minister insofar as it's exercised on the authority of God's word. Right? That the word proscribes. Okay? Any questions about that? Okay. So, um, when you have like a long reading like today, when Ascension has the habit of reading it together, I would encourage you to consider maybe not reading it and just listening and see how that feels. Okay? Because if, like think of in, again, go back to the image of maybe you've seen in The Chosen, of Jesus showing up to a town and teaching. That's what's happening in the service of the word, is Jesus is showing up, right? And he is coming to speak. And the pastor is called, you called me here, to do that so that you don't have to, so that you can receive what Jesus has come to give, okay? So I want you to kind of think through that, uh, because today was a long reading. And I imagine three-quarters of the way through, you're pretty tired, you're trying to match cadence with everybody else, and then what are you not really thinking as much about? Concentrating on what the message. Right. Yeah. You, because you're, there's so much going on that it's having, you're having a hard time receiving it because you're also trying to, in a way, give it. Yeah. Right? And just like the example with Martha, are you doing anything bad? No. 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 no there's nothing bad about that. Right? But Jesus is here, and he's talking. Yeah. Right? So... Um, Okay, so some of the history here is really interesting. So uh, the history of the service of the word actually originates before the church begins. Uh, it originates in the synagogue. So one of your handouts there has an example of like a synagogue service listed on the bottom part of it. Um, so that started really around 586 BC when Babylon um, defeated Jerusalem and scattered the people. And in the diaspora, the scattering of the Jews, synagogue worship was established so that what would not be lost? The word. The word. Right? They are called to pass on all of the rituals that are given in the Old Testament, that all the feasts are all done to do what? They're all done to remember. Remember the mighty works of God. Right? And so this was a way in which they established 
so that you could you could pass on what has been uh, what God has done for His people. So if you look at there, it, you can see a lot of similarities, right? Uh, you have the invocation, right? Bless the Lord who is to be blessed, and then uh, the Sanctus are like one of the ver- earliest versions of it. Um, it's based on those two scriptures there, Isaiah six and Psalm one eighteen. Then you have the Shema of Old Testament Israel, which would be like their creed, right? Hero, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay. Now, obviously, our creed's a little different because Jesus comes along and that changes how some things work. Uh, and then you have the eighteen benedictions, uh, which are these are sort of like blessings. Uh, you have the priestly blessing or the ironic benediction, which we still use today at the end of our service. That's the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine on you, etc. And then you have the reading of the word. Now, one interesting difference is they start with the most important piece first, and then they go to two lesser important readings, and we kind of do the reverse. As you recall, after the service begins and the entrance rite has started, and we're, where are we moving towards? We're moving toward the gospel. We're moving towards the words of Jesus. Okay, so here they have Torah, which would be the first, um, the first five books of the Old Testament. And so there's a reading from there, and then a response in a psalm, probably chanted. Um, and when the person, there's one person doing all these readings. So um, I've been watching a little bit of the Chosen recently, and I think it's towards the end of the first season, beginning the second season. Jesus is asked in the, in the Samaritan village to read from the Holy Scriptures in the synagogue. Right? And so when he's asked to read as the rabbi, as the resident scholar or the scribe, he goes up and he reads and the people gather around and they listen. And then the people respond with a psalm. Then you have another reading from the prophets and then the people respond with a psalm. And then historical writings and then people respond with a psalm. Right? So today, what's our first reading usually in, in the divine service? Old Testament. Old Testament reading, right? And then how do we respond to that usually? Thanks be to God, right? So we're recognizing it's a gift. So that's one of those things. And if you are in a like a more historically liturgical church, they would have they could put a psalm there after the Old Testament. So the Old Testament, and then the response would be the psalm. And usually, it's not just read by somebody. The psalm is like a responsive exchange because it's the people's response to God's word. Then the second one is the epistle, so one of the letters from the New Testament. So if you can think of it this way, Old Testament is pre-gospel, letters post-gospel, but all of those things are pointing towards the gospel, right? So in, in the Old Testament, it's a foreshadowing for Jesus, and in the New Testament, the epistles, it's a the apostles' teaching based on what Jesus has said. And then the response to that, uh, which we do our third Sunday service here, is the gradual, which is an excerpt from some psalms. And then the last, the third reading, the final reading is the gospel, right? And we usually find a way to honor the gospel over the other two readings. Now, what do we do here? We stand, right? It has its own intro. Uh, The others don't have an intro. I ask you to stand, right? Um, And all those things. There are other things that churches have done in the past. You can do a gospel procession, which is something we could do here on like a... Uh, sometimes churches will just do those on like Easter and Christmas to really highlight the importance of the service. And that's where you get like a big Bible and like the acolyte will carry it out. And you have a cross that goes forward down into the middle of the congregation to signify that, that God is present among his people. And then the pastor reads the gospel reading from the middle of the space. Yeah. And then there's a procession to go back up. So all those things set apart the idea that the gospel is the high point of the service of the word. 
Um, all right. Well, we're out of time. I figured we would probably have to spend a couple of sessions on the service of the word. So we kind of got a little highlight here. I've touched on the history. We'll, we'll go into a little more detail on that. Um, not next week, because we've got Easter next week, but two weeks from now. Um, and I'll finish up talking really about where our current practices come from historically as the church developed. So, all right, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.